0: Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook.
1: Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. My name is Blair Cook. And I'm Jen Nicholson. Today we're talking to Mike Savage. Mike is a partner and practice leader for Fraud Investigation and Dispute Services for Ernst & Young in Canada. He designed Ian global anti-fraud solution methodology. Needless to say that Mike is a CPA, a certified fraud examiner, and also certified in financial forensics. He also happens to be a faculty member at the Director's College. In today's interview, we talk to Mike about the importance and mechanics of setting up a whistleblower hotline to address fraud risk in every organization. Let's listen in. So, uh, Mike, you've got tons of experience in this area. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, Mike, you're an expert on fraud and fraud is one of those things that people think of as kind of exciting and controversial and you know, even sexy, which a lot of accounting certainly is not thought of that way. And uh, what, what do you think about fraud?
0: Well, yeah, I'm from Africa, so I had a good grounding in asset misappropriation and corruption and <laughs> wow. things like that that are, are frauds of, of some sort. I don't think that fraud is sexy. I think it's a bad thing, but for sure it's interesting because it's about people who lie. It's about people who misrepresent. They conceal the truth. They take things and they don't tell the truth. And there is something very intellectually challenging and stimulating about figuring out what they did, how much they took and making sure that they don't do it in in the future.
1: Absolutely, so it's really a puzzle for Mm -hmm. you to uncover.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And what role do whistleblower policies play in uncovering fraud?
0: Well, a very important role. Whistleblowers are generally people who work for the company. They don't like the behaviors that they see. It creates the stress inside of them and they, and they want to try and resolve it. And sometimes they're not able to resolve it in the workplace, in the ordinary course. They, they can't follow the line of command because perhaps the person who's their direct report, direct superior, is the person who's responsible for all the misrepresentations. So what do they do? They get frustrated and then they want to blow the whistle on what they see happening around them and they have no channel and that's frustrating. And so bad things can happen. They can go outside of the company and blow the whistle and that puts the reputation at risk. It puts it all in the public domain. However, if you create a channel internally, a whistleblower reporting channel internally, then as a company, you can deal with it internally, resolve it and avoid all of the bad things that could happen, the reputational exposures, the management distraction.
1: And how often do you see whistleblower policies in companies, I guess, let's say public companies?
0: Well, more and more often. So public companies, it's the exception more than the norm that, that a company would not have a policy. When you get to smaller companies, owner-managed businesses, there's a, a lot more of a, a family feel to it, a lot more direct supervision and oversight by the owner. And so the owner doesn't feel the need for the structured whistleblower policy process. But even with those family-owned companies, the, the middle-sized middle, middle companies, there still is at a point in time that they get large enough or that the the person who founded the company moves on into retirement and somebody else comes in. And that close connection, that family supervision gets lost. And at that point, the, the more normal accepted process of a, of a whistleblower channel and, and better checks and balances becomes much more applicable.
1: And how often are whistleblower lines typically accessed?
0: Well, if your line is ringing off the hook, you've got a real big problem. (laughs) Yes,
1: that would definitely sound like a problem. Yeah.
0: So for the most part, uh, if it's ringing too frequently, it's because it's not well focused. You don't want every HR complaint to come through the whistleblower channel. That's not its purpose. You want it focused on bigger financial issues where there's a loss, where there's something substantive. Workplace disputes and grievances are generally well dealt with by existing company structures. So what you want to do then, if you're getting a lot of calls coming through, is try and and look at what's there. Look at the process that's triaging and see what calls are we getting that we're really not interested in or have to divert somewhere else anyway. And see what you can do to raise the awareness about the correct purpose and use of of the hotline.
1: Now what about things like sexual harassment? Mm -hmm. Is that something that's appropriate for Whistleblower or should that be more dealt with internally?
0: Well, it, it, it depends. Every company has their own preference. Some companies say, look, if something bad's going on, we want people to talk about it. Other companies say, you know, there's a process for dealing with things like sexual harassment this is not the process for it this process is intended to make sure we get our financial statements out on time that they have integrity that if people are stealing from us that we can get onto it and and stop the loss and that's the specific purpose of this line we don't want to clutter up with these other things which do need to be dealt with but for which there are existing processes to deal
1: right now i guess it's also not a good thing if the whistleblower line never rings
0: that's true, right? Because now you're stuck with the challenge. Is that because nobody knows about the line or is that because there's nothing happening? Now, it may well be, and we all hope it's the case, that, it's, that there's nothing to report, so that's why the line doesn't ring. But generally speaking, if you're not getting one or two calls a year, you should be concerned that people just are blissfully unaware. You can do a very easy survey, just ask a few people, do you know how to find it? I have seen order committee chairs ask that the whistleblower hotline be stress-tested. So somebody would phone it, and then the order committee chair would see how long it took for the message to get to his or her ears. That's a good and idea. And I think that's quite a good idea, right? Because then you get comfort that the process works.
1: Do you have issues too with the type of organization where people perhaps are, are fearful of using the whistleblower line, that they're worried that it's not going to be anonymous or dealt with?
0: Of course, it's a, it's a big anxiety for whistleblowers. Whistleblowers are, are, are generally not celebrated they're ostracized in the workplace. And so they have tremendous anxiety about stepping forward. They've already decided they don't want to step forward to line management. So they, in a sense, they've already made their, made their decision. And so the importance of whistleblower protections to them is, is massive. It needs to be documented, it needs to be communicated, and there needs to be some substance to it. You know, 10, 15 years ago, people would, would receive anonymous complaints and not investigate it. Because the thinking was, well, if you're not prepared to stand up and identify yourself, well, why should we take the trouble to investigate it? Right. I think we passed that now, but still, you know, whistleblowers do need the protections of anonymity, knowing that they're not going to lose their jobs. Even with the anonymity, often the very nature of the complaint makes it clear who's responsible. Because the person would have, would have made some noise previously about the issue, would have been rebuffed, but would be identifiable through the nature of the complaint. Right, exactly.
1: And I guess in some cases, the whistleblower actually ends up being celebrated. We look at Enron, for example.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, I would say, unusual and a little counterintuitive. People get confused. Is your loyalty to the people you work with or is your loyalty to the company? And whistleblowers, very often their loyalty is to the company. But the people they work with feel rejected. Right. Feel that you've, in a sense, let the team down but the team is defined as the people they work with rather than the corporation itself.
1: Right, that's a difficult situation to be Mm -hmm. in. So we're talking about whistleblowers primarily as employees of a company, but can whistleblowers be suppliers or customers as well?
0: Oh, absolutely. So if, if you think about whistleblowers, it's somebody who's seen something wrong going on and wants to bring it to the attention of the company. For good reasons, most companies, I would say it's the norm, make their whistleblower line available to employees. But increasingly, we are seeing a reach out to a more public forum. So sometimes it's to suppliers, vendors. Sometimes it's more broadly to the public. They just post the line on the website and and are open to receiving complaints that way. It's a choice that's very personal and individual to individual companies. One company I did see put their whistleblower hotline number onto the monthly statement of account, which they then circulated out to all their different customers. Well, that sounded like a great idea at the time they got an awful lot of complaints from customers on their whistleblower hotline.
1: I can imagine it probably is not the best uh, avenue to deal with those types of complaints. Right. And when you look at a whistleblower hotline, what is the best mechanism to use? Email, phone, Mm -hmm. what do you think, third party or internal?
0: Sure. Well, there's a a few things to think about. When is the channel? In other words, do you use a phone or... As accountants, we would say documents are the key to success. If you get a whistleblower complaint because somebody says they heard something, that it's very hard to narrow it down. Which part of the company, which team of people, and so what time is affected, which accounts are affected. So it becomes hard to run it to ground. Whereas if you receive a document, you've got a good thread to pull on. You can find the document. It identifies the group of people, the transaction, the type. You've got a a good thread to pull on. So... Most successful whistleblower hotline operators or or channels would have a facility for documents to be submitted in addition to a voice call. So I think that would be for sure a leading practice. And then in terms of, of internal or external, It depends. I I say the whistleblower hotline is the channel of last resort. It's the last thing that you have in place, your last safety net before somebody goes out into the big wide world and says something public. So you need to build it, assuming that people have tried the other channels that are available internally. They can't speak to their supervisor. They don't want to speak with HR or the directors or senior management directly or general counsel. They've already chosen not to speak to somebody in the company. So if you are going to put put out a whistleblower channel that leads to somebody in the company, your chances of catching that are diminished somewhat. Whereas if it's a complete third party with a good reputation, an outsider to the business, process is very transparent. There's lots of assurances from the third party that the voice won't be played back to management. I think that improves your chances of getting a successful whistleblower complaint captured rather than lost through that safety net and out into the big wide world.
1: That makes sense, and there are lots of providers who, whose sole purpose is to, to do
0: that. I mean, they'd probably get very upset. I'd say it's commoditized, but you, know, you can get very reasonable, simple operations, and you can get very sophisticated, 24-7, multiple language, and it's a very competitive market, and the prices are really not that large in comparison to the consequence of something not being reported effectively and the damage that that could do to the company.
1: And who do you recommend that a whistleblower complaint goes to within the company?
0: Well, again, the the more independent, the better. You certainly don't want it going to the very person against whom allegations are being made because that's not a recipe for success. Generally speaking, uh, senior management or somebody who's in a dotted line function, general counsel, HR, internal audit, those would be good people to, to include. Many companies ask for two people, right? So the complaint would go to two not necessarily because they don't trust one or the other, but because one might be away or be very busy and you want to make sure that the complaint is responded to on a timely basis. One leading practice that we have seen is that where there's an allegation against the top of the house, the chief executive, the CFO, the chief operating officer, those are complaints that are most likely to be suppressed by management. And so the board of directors often does ask that that sort of complaint gets escalated to somebody. And the audit committee chair is the most frequent person that would be designated to receive a complaint about misbehavior by the chief executive or the CFO. That makes
1: sense. and seems to be the most independent approach to -hmm. to deal with a situation like that. Have you seen an increase in whistleblower complaints with um, in areas where there's been an economic downturn or, for example, we look at in Canada in Alberta where the the oil industry has taken a, a hit?
0: Yeah, well, for sure, fraud in difficult times. Right? In difficult times, people have a lifestyle that they've become accustomed to. Great bonuses, incentive compensation, good increases. In difficult times, those all fall by the wayside. And it becomes very easy for somebody to rationalize. Look, it will turn and I'll pay it back when it turns. Or, you know, I worked really hard. It's not my fault that the oil and gas prices are depressed. It's not my fault that these other teams didn't do their job. I feel entitled. And so I'm going to help myself. So there is definitely a a, a correlation. People feel the pressure more in difficult times and and might get tempted and and perpetrate the fraud. And as a result, because there's more activity, there's more opportunity for whistleblowers. There's more things for whistleblowers to blow the whistle on. Right, of course. And
1: what is the biggest fraud that you've investigated. Of course, not naming any names.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a difficult thing to talk about. But what I would say is the biggest bribe I ever turned down. So I, and I dealt with it spectacularly badly. Somebody that I was, I was investigating at a company and somebody I wasn't expecting to be involved approached me and, and put a a check for a million in my pocket. Wow. And I dealt with it so badly. I handed the check back and then I woke up the next day and I thought I've got no evidence. I just gave it right back to them. Silly me. I should have kept the check. And used it against the individual. Exactly.
1: And and what happened there?
0: Well, I, I didn't have much evidence. So I, I put it on the big screen. And I, I went and, and I spoke to my boss and I spoke to the board of the organization that I was working with at the time. And I said, this is what's happened. I don't think it's okay. I don't want you to hear it from anyone else. I can't prove what happened, but this is what I'm saying happened. And they called in the other person. That person denied that they'd done that. Of course. Later said, well, it was just a practical joke. He's not with them anymore.
1: Right, yeah. Usually where there's smoke, there's fire. Right, us. right. So in closing, what advice do you have for our listeners to take action right now to to deal with fraud and in their organization or suspected fraud and yeah. to help them with the whistleblower policies?
0: Well, I, I think if you don't have one, get one. Um, if you have one, think about what you could do to improve it. And most often it's it's not change the service provider, it's change the level of awareness. So educate, put some messages out there, encourage the awareness, make it easier for people to find it. Often when those whistleblower policies were set out and the channels were set out, the websites didn't cater for the links. And so there's things you can do to refresh and, and raise awareness. I think those are good things to do. Make sure that your policies are compliant. Many of our regulators, whether the OSC or the SEC, have put out their own whistleblower policies. And our company's procedures sometimes prohibit people from reaching out to those regulators. They say, you've signed a confidentiality agreement, that means you can't talk outside of the company about company affairs. Well, can you picture the OSC or the SEC's view on something like that, trying to muzzle the employees? Wow. Right. So better that the company goes, looks through those policies and procedures and contracts, refreshes them to make it clear that you still should respect the confidentiality of company information, but you're allowed to speak to the regulator as applicable and as appropriate.
1: Well, oh, that's excellent advice. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Well,
0: thank you. Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpaCanada forward slash
1: podcast.